tell the students to stand for truth, it is the most important thing to stand for because the loss of truth has led to a loss of meaning. Today, a majority of Americans now say that truth is up to the individual and ultimate truth cannot be known. Lately, we've heard the phrase, speak your truth, popping up all over the place, indicating that your truth is your truth, but someone else can have their own truth. Almost like we can each bake a cake following our own directions and our own rules and still end up with the same cake. While this movement has been intended to lead to dignity and harmony, our society has had a completely reverse reaction as we're witnessing unprecedented levels of social conflict, purposelessness, and a loss of identity. We're so thankful for the opportunity today to talk with Dr. Jeff Myers, a well-respected authority in youth leadership and development and renowned worldview and apologetics expert. He is truly just the guy we want to talk to about this subject. He's currently the president of Summit Ministries and just released a book called Truth Changes Everything, in which he illustrates how ordinary people just like you who believed in truth, not the relative truth of our culture, transformed society in times of crisis and how you can do the same today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Jeff Myers. Well, Jeff, welcome back to The Morning Conversation. I'm glad to be back with you, Stan. I'm looking forward to having a chance to visit. Yeah. So again, you're involved with a ministry called Summit Ministries, which is awesome. I've not had the fortune of going myself because you're pretty much geared towards younger people and I'm really old. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, for those who aren't familiar with Summit Ministries yet, give us a quick overview of Summit Ministries. You know, so Summit Ministries is a Colorado-based ministry. We're in a little hippie town. Talks mm -hmm. right in at the foot of Pikes Peak called Manitou Springs. And for yes. 60 years now, students have traveled to Manitou Springs to spend a couple of weeks with top thought leaders from a Christian worldview mm -hmm. to get answers to their big questions. And the whole goal, Stan, is that they would come to embrace mm -hmm. uh, the truth. God's truth hmm. and champion a biblical worldview. So a lot of them are headed off to a college or university. They're moving into their careers and everything from law to the military to business, medicine, education, all these different fields where they can make a difference. I was just in Washington, D.C. and came out of a TV interview and Somebody who's standing there turns out to be a reporter who is a Summit Ministries graduate. Awesome. So it was so fun that to cool. meet her and hear hear about her work and how Summit influenced her life. But basically what it did for her was convince her that she needs to be the sort of person who stands for truth. Huh, so good. Yeah. And tell you what, I mean, from what I heard and known, I've known several people who've been a part of it, nothing but glowing comments about how God used it in their lives. And, and again, always and forever, but man, the current time that we're in, boy, to know what Summit Ministries is about is to want your young person in your life to be a part of it and to go. We've seen some really great stories come out of it. Not, you know, not everybody has reached it at an amazing level, but 4% of this generation has a biblical worldview. Mm, That's wow. the most recent research. By the time they leave two weeks at Summit Ministries, 85% have a biblical wow, worldview. Wow, that's awesome. And that persists because we study our graduates 
graduates one year out, five years out, 10 years out. We do that every year. So we have a really good sense of the fact that once they grasp a biblical worldview, they're not satisfied with the counterfeit worldviews anymore. And it changes their whole approach to their schooling, their professional life, uh, their activities as a citizen and everything else. Truth is truth. Right. I mean, we get I, I'm seriously like us as Christ followers, we get bombarded all the time with challenges to truth and blurring of truth that if we're not careful, we can lose track of like, no, truth is truth. And it speaks even to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Man, it's truth is truth. And it stands out brightly from lies. It does. If Flannery O'Connor said, the truth does not depend on your ability to mm. stomach it emotionally. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but, so good. It, but there is a battle between Absolutely. two different perspectives on truth. Yes. It seems like there are a million different views, but there are really only two. And there is a battle right now. And that's uh, what I'm really passionate to communicate about these days. Yeah, love that. Okay. So you've written 16 books, I believe. Is that accurate? So you've yes. got a latest book called Truth changes everything, how people of faith can transform the world in times of, of crisis. Now, okay, so super relevant, obviously, the times that we're in, but just curious of what led you to write this particular book at this particular time? There are a couple of things, Stan. I remember of several years ago, listening to a speech by Oprah Winfrey mm. at the Globe Golden Globe Awards, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And she said, the most important thing is to speak your truth. Mm. And I, I understood what she was saying, because it was in the context of the Me Too movement. And, you know, there were a lot of uh, a lot of women. There have been a lot of women and probably men as well who've been abused mm-hmm. sexually through time and have never felt courageous enough to tell their story. So that's what she was referring to. And I was very grateful that she was willing to say that, you know, encourage people to speak out. But the way she said it, it didn't sit right with me. Speak your truth. Mm-hmm. You know, th- so shouldn't she have said, speak the, the truth, truth and yeah. illustrate it with your experiences? Mm. Maybe that's just too many words, but it, it <laughs> seemed, <laughs> it just seemed like here you've got this person with this huge platform and she's not just telling people your opinions matter or your experiences matter. She's actually communicating something about the nature of truth itself. So I looked into it more and found that below the battles that we think define our era, Republicans versus Democrats, red states versus blue states, religious people versus non-religious people. Below all of that is actually a battle over what truth is. Does Mm. truth exist exist in a way that's knowable by us? Mm. Or is it just something that we make up for ourselves? And it turned out that as I was talking with the publisher about this idea, we actually tipped in the United States of America. Now, a majority of people in this country say they believe truth is up to the individual rather than truth exists out there independently to be discovered. Mm. We have no idea what the implications of that are, Mm. but I'll just put it this way. No civilization has ever gotten to the place where a majority of its people believed that and survived unless something changed significantly. And usually that change comes about through crisis. So how we respond to the crises of our times, each one of us makes an enormous difference for the future of our nation, for our children, grandchildren, and everything else. Wow. 
you know, as we're talking about that whole relative truth and some people who believe that truth is relative, everyone kind of makes up their own truth. Where in life, in terms of tangible things, does that play out and get affirmed? I mean, so tell an architect that, you know what, I'm going to go off of my truth here as far as how this building should be built or whatever the area that you want to talk about to go, no, there's truth about how buildings get built. And if you don't build it that way, the thing's going to fall down on top of you. I think there are some people who recognize that science, there are facts of science, there are facts of history. But when it comes to morals, hmm. it's there aren't facts that we that we just have our opinions. And I just, I don't find that compelling. But Stan, here's the weird thing. This battle about truth has gone so deep that even the facts about science and history are being called into question mm. by people at the university who say, look, we have no access to the truth. All we have are our experiences. Mm. Melville Herskovitz was a professor at the Northwestern University, and he wrote about this in the early 1970s, uh, it developed a thing called ethnomathematics. Mm. And what he said was, even the facts about the physical world are processed through what he called the enculturative screen. In other words, two plus two equals four, if that's meaningful to you based on your cultural experience, but not if it isn't meaningful to you based on your cultural experience. Mm. And it just it seems crazy it, because exactly what you're saying is true. If you're going to fly from New York to London, you may believe culturally that the continents touch, but you should still probably bring enough fuel for a 3,000 mile journey. <laughs> If you don't want to splat down in the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. And you think about how, how much crazier could it be these days? Uh, but anyway, back to the moral question. So uh, here's a thought experiment I do with people who say, oh, no, all morality is opinion. I say, okay, let me make two statements for you. Statement A, it is good to care for abandoned puppies. Statement B, it is good to torture abandoned puppies. Is there any meaningful difference between those two statements? Mm -hmm. Because we know there is a meaningful difference between them, that you can't say that care for and torture mean the same thing. If you do, you've essentially said there's no meaning to language. Mm -hmm. And language has no referential relationship between the things that we're talking about and the words that we're using. And if that's the case, why are we even bothering to have this conversation? God is always at work among us. The Todd Becker Foundation, based in Kearney, Nebraska, has been uniquely positioned by God to help unify believers in a community around one main purpose, reaching the lost for Christ. The Todd Becker team hosted their high school assembly near Colby, Kansas, where they met Layton, who is essentially known as the school troublemaker. Layton knew his choices were leading him down the wide road that leads to destruction, and he desperately desired to write a different story. Everyone knows me as the worst kid, Layton said, and I just want to change. The Todd Becker team shared that while yes, he was a sinner, 1 Timothy 1.15 says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Right there, Layton chose to surrender his life to Christ by choosing the narrow road that leads to life. God is on the move through the Todd Becker Foundation as they faithfully present the gospel to high school students across the Midwest, prioritizing the lost as they bring communities together to reach students for Christ. God is the 
MyBridge Radio, celebrating God at work among us. Share your story and join the conversation in the Connect Now section at MyBridgeRadio.net. So, Jeff, your latest book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. All right, so it takes an investment to write a book. So what made you go, okay, if I could see this accomplished through writing of this book, it would make all my investment worth it. Yeah, well, Stan, there's a personal story involved. As I, as I got the opportunity to write this book, I was diagnosed with cancer Hmm. and the doctor said, we're confident that we can treat this. It's a super aggressive treatment, but we have a good chance to beat it. And of course, I was thinking about all of those things, the vacations that my wife and I wanted to go on with the kids grown up and, you know, the, the, the grandbabies that I hope to hold someday and everything about life gets compressed when you face a diagnosis like that, Mm. you begin to think this conversation I have with this person might be the last time we get to talk. Mm. This letter that I write might be the last communication this person gets from me. Mm. And authors go through the same thing. So I was actually faced with, if this is the last book I ever get to write, is this the book I want to write? Then what should I write about? And I remember David Noble, one of my mentors, the founder of Summit Ministries, saying, tell the students to stand for truth. It is the most important thing to stand for. And I thought, this is this is it. This is the defining thing of our age, because the loss of truth has led to a loss of meaning. And it's especially the case, Stan, for the young adults that I work with. 75% of them say they do not have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. More than 50% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. These are not the marks of a culture that is enlightening itself and moving somewhere positive. These are the marks of a culture that has completely lost its way. And when you lose your way, if you're driving, as much as it irritates you, you turn around and go back to where you got lost Mm. and then you start over. Mm. And I think that's what we need to do. So the the cool thing is, as I more I studied it, and I, this book is basically just story after story after story of Jesus followers in history who changed the world in times of tremendous crisis because they wanted to stand for the truth. And I realized I, we we can learn from those stories and even then know how to respond in our time of crisis. Wow, wow. many in our culture now believe that uh, truth can't be known, right? Can't objectively be known. So many of us Christ followers, like theoretically might know some things, but deep down we may have gotten dislodged from our belief about truth because of all that we get bombarded with from the culture. So why should we believe that truth can be known? There are two aspects to it, the stand. The first one is you gotta look at why people say there is no truth. What are they actually getting at? And then the second thing is to sort of look for the reasons why we know truth exists and then what the source of it is and how we can find it. So it it turns out in philosophy, there are really four sort of lines of argument that somebody uses if they want to try to persuade you that ultimate truth either doesn't exist or can't be known. First one is sophism. All truth is, is what helps us win. This This is the most dangerous of our day. Even the First Amendment scholar, Stanley Fish, said, You are entitled to your own facts if you can make them stick. So in other words, you win 
The whole thing is about winning. It's not about telling the truth. There's no truth. You can say completely absurd things. And if you can make people believe you, or at least make people who oppose you be quiet, then you win. You're right. That's sophism. A second one is what they call in philosophy deflationism. So this deflationist uh, perspective says that truth is just it's a meaningless aspect of our conversation. If I say it's true that the sun rose today, that's no different than just saying the sun rose today. So adding the word truth doesn't add anything to the conversation. Uh, the third view is pluralism. And this is this one a lot of people get caught up in saying, well, I don't want to offend anybody. You have your truth. I have my truth. And then the final one is pragmatism is truth is whatever works. So this is kind of the direction the world has gone in the world of politics. Look, we don't talk about the truth. We just uh, agree on what we agree on. And as long as we agree, then we're right. And it's working for us. Mm. So how do you respond to that? And as I looked at it, I realized, you know, some of the tools of the philosophers are actually pretty helpful. Just for example, the way we use language, we've noticed that truth rises. If I say there is no such thing as truth, I have just proclaimed a truth. <laughs> it's not even possible to say there is no truth hmm. without proclaiming a truth. Interesting. And why is that? Because we know that our words are meaningful. We, when we, you and I communicate, we, even if we don't agree on something, at least we know that we disagree because we both agree on that words refer to things and ideas that are, are real. And that's an important aspect of truth. Another thing is just the different, the knowable difference between facts and opinions. A lot of people think morals are opinions. We talked earlier about the torturing puppies example. You know, nobody would say that torturing puppies is good. Why would we know that that's not good? Because we understand there is a difference between saying we care for something and we torture something. But, but think back on, you know, even science. If I were to say, oh, you, did you know that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level? It wouldn't be appropriate for somebody to say, hey, man, keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a scientific, verifiable fact. Are there exceptions? Yeah, maybe atmospheric conditions change it a little bit. Maybe the, the air temperature changes it a little bit. I mean, there are different things that might alter it a little bit, but saying that it's an opinion is not reasonable. So historical facts. If I say that Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865, no one would say, well, maybe that's true in your culture, but that's not true in my culture. Hmm. Because we can look back and see based on uh, the historical records that that is so. So there is a knowable difference between facts and opinions. And while I do have opinions, I prefer a certain kind of ice cream, you might prefer a different kind of ice cream. We can debate about whether that's better or worse or why it tastes better. We can talk about our sports teams and things like that, but it ends up being the case that you can know things about the world. Hmm. Just in the same way that you can know that the law of gravity says, if you go up on top of your building and think feelings of upness, if you jump, you're still going down, hmm. no matter how good you feel about going up, <laughs> right? You, you don't violate the law of gravity, yes. you prove it. And there are moral implications to all of this. Early scientists, and I read about this in Truth Changes Everything, recognize that those the, the physical laws exist and they have moral implications. And if all of that is so, 
then we can actually understand the world because God has designed it to be understood by us. And that was the foundation of modern science. Love that. So you uh, talk a lot about having conversations with other people about issues, right? That's kind of what you do. And you help all of us do the same thing very effectively. But uh, in that, you talk about the importance of both truth and relationships, right? Truth and relationships. So what's the danger if we have one without the other? In the old days, way back in classical times, the Greeks talked about truth and they and the Romans talked about truth and lots of philosophers have talked about truth. But they kind of say we know the truth exists because we can make logical statements. I can look outside of the window and say it is raining. And it wouldn't be reasonable for somebody to say it is not raining in the same time and in the same sense. That it is something that's observable. There can't be a con- there's a contradiction between those two things. Both ideas cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. So philosophers look at that. They developed all the logic behind it. The Christian worldview adds a unique twist to it. It says, yes, logic exists. Reason is real. We can reason our way to conclusions. Yes, we can develop models that accurately represent the world. But the truth is something more. The truth is a person. It's Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word for truth there doesn't just mean opinion. It means reality. You will know reality. So if truth is a person, then truth, true truth is always relational. Does that make sense to you? Totally. If you're communicating the truth and you're not doing it in a relational way, then you're not communicating the whole truth. Mm. If you're trying to relate to someone else, but you're not being truthful with that person, then you're not really being relational either. Hmm. So truth and relationship always have to go together. I picture a DNA double helix. And we all remember that from our science class. <laughs> oh yeah, we little, all do. The little, yeah, the little, the little <laughs> twisty, <laughs> twisty thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my teacher had a had a little model of it, you know, it was but you can see that there were two strands and they twisted together and they were connected by nucleotides. Think of that when you think of truth and relationship. The hmm. truth and relationship intertwined together. They're like the two strands of the DNA double helix. Mm. And what is our goal? Our goal is to connect to truth and relationship for people every day. Mm. Somehow we can do that in our everyday conversations with the people around us. Mm. So good. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we live in a day and an age where if I disagree with you, I shut you down. I defriend you. I, you know, I no longer want to talk to you. I no longer like you. I no longer trust you. So help us out with that a little bit from the standpoint of like, how do we build trust with people that we don't agree with or they don't agree with us? So Stan, in, in the book, True Changes Everything, I, I after I told uh, uh, probably 75 stories of just these amazing people who lived for Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the truth. They changed the course of history, science, art, everything else. I was faced with the question, okay, so what does this look like for my life? Does this change how I go to the grocery store? Does this change how I drive? Does this change how, how I interact with the people I work with? What if I'm with my kids and we talk about some sensitive topic and we have a disagreement? You know, how do you do it? How do you do it in those situations? So actually, the chapter that I wrote was called How to Speak the Truth and Be Nice at the Same Time. (laughs) And being nice is not the goal of life. I I put that in there because that's what people seek for. We want to live in a way that doesn't offend other people. We basically just want to get along. 
And I know some people who are, who are listening to this right now are thinking, that's not true. I see things on the internet all the time where people just fight, fight, fight. Oh, so we actually looked at this, Stan. I've done a lot of research with several different research companies just trying to understand the cultural moment. And here's what, this, is, this was a breakthrough for me, okay? Five to 8% of the people in America are real jerks. Five to 8%. <laughs> they respond to conflict, they say, by cutting other people out of their lives. Hmm. They love the cancel culture. They feel that it is their moral obligation to cancel and ruin as many people as possible. They want to yell at you in conversation rather than actually listen to you. So th this is verified by research now. It's five to 8%. Well, what does that mean? It means there, that of the people you meet, there's a 92 to 95% chance mm. that they're not like that. Mm. People actually want to listen and talk with you. If you meet someone and all they want to do is scream at you, then you're just, you're not going to make a lot of progress with them. But for everybody else, you can communicate. It starts with asking questions. So one of my favorites is tell me more about that. If you're give, somebody gives a viewpoint, tell me more about that. It doesn't hurt me at all to ask them more about what they're interested in. This is true. It is, uh, years ago, when I was doing my doctoral program, I did a lot of research in education and communication. It turns out that among little children, they're asking, why do some kids become popular with other kids? And they found out the most popular kids far in a way more than their physical appearance or their economic status was their willingness to listen and engage in conversation with other people. They were always viewed as more attractive. So I thought, well, how does that apply to us? I think it's the same principle. If I'm a Christian and I'm feeling nervous, oh, I don't know what, to, if I met an atheist, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Mm. If I met somebody who was in a really tough spot in life, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Well, don't tell ask. Hmm. And it seems so simple, but it's so difficult if you, especially if you have an opinion that you really would like to share. So start by asking questions. My favorite questions are just definitional. Somebody says, you know, you're a, I don't know. I mean, yesterday, somebody wanted to do an interview. They said, do you think there is such a thing as a Christian nationalist? Like, are you a Christian nationalist? And you have to, you, there's no way to have that conversation without asking, what do you mean by Christian nationalist? Mm. Uh, if somebody says, well, so-and-so, they're unjust. Well, what do you mean by justice? Tell me, give me a definition of that term that, that's supportable by the evidence. You know, that kind of a thing. I like to ask questions like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Mm. Those sorts of things. Because I just want to know. I want to get to know people. You see, at the end of the day, we're going to find truth, not by butting heads with other people, so much as by turning and being side by side, moving toward the truth together. Mm, wow, that's great questions. Great practical questions that, as you were saying, kind of allow conversation to happen, allow people to be heard, allow people to process for themselves. Why do I believe that? What do I yeah. mean when I make that statement? And uh, we're really helping them along the way. Well, Stan, you're a journalist, so you were trained to ask questions. Mm. But most of us, you know, in different areas, we were trained to know facts or to, you know, to make plans or develop strategies and things like that. Asking mm. questions wasn't really part of the natural training. Right. And it should be. It should be. Mm. 
because that's how we learn and grow. And here's something that's even weirder. Asking questions of people actually is persuasive to them. Yes. It's crazy as this sounds. Asking people, well, if you don't tell me with the source of that, why do you believe that? Do you have evidence for that kind of thing? That people can actually become persuaded to change their beliefs just by having 100%. somebody engage in conversation with them and ask questions. 100%. Yeah, so agree with that. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Join us Sundays on MyBridge Radio for worship music all day long. Refreshing, hope-filled Sundays on MyBridge Radio. So, Jeff, uh, it's just the nature of kids to question things, right? And uh, I've wondered at times even, because I, I used to work with youth for a number of years when I first got out of college, and I've been a parent myself. So I, I know the I know the stress and the fear and the concern that can happen in a parent's heart when their kids start questioning things of faith that they raised them in, right? But I've wondered at times if true faith is even possible for most young people without going through a season of doubt and questioning for them to be able to grapple with and come to a, to an answer. But I, I'd love to hear your perspective. Again, number of parents listening this morning, you know, and I've, I think of a friend of mine who recently had their son just kind of speak out for the first time and say, I don't know that I'm believing all this stuff. Right. And it kind of yeah. rocked them back on their heels a little bit, but give us some perspective on how to process that when our kids hit that space. Yeah. I would consider it a blessing to be a parent whose child would actually say something like that. Mm. Because there are a lot of kids out there thinking, there's no way my parents will understand. I'm not even going to bring it up. <laughs> so if, they, if, if a child is willing to say, I'm not sure I believe this, you want to first of all uh, say, look, thank you. Thank you for saying that because it's hard to know. We can't really know where we are, each of us, unless we're willing to say it aloud. And that's a risk. So thank you for saying that. And then, you know, I remember Sean McDowell is one of my my students from Summit Ministries from years ago. And now he's an author and speaker. Yeah, and yeah we've had him on. I go... I know I go on his podcast now, which is which is hysterical. So, yeah, but he's he's very successful at this. He tells a story of having that conversation with his dad. Now, can you imagine Josh McDowell, hmm. the Christian <laughs> apologist, <laughs> known by hundreds of millions of people all over the world, and his son is saying, "I don't know if I believe all of this." Hmm. And Josh's response is instructive. He said, "Son, I." want you to believe what is true. Now, if you study this and you can find convincing evidence that it's not true, then I wouldn't want you to believe it. But if it is true, I want you to pursue it. And that gave Sean the freedom to explore. Of course, he was given good resources of what to explore. And there are tons of those. You can go to summit.org and see all kinds of tough questions being answered. That's what changed Sean. That set him on a completely different trajectory. Hmm. So that conversation around the kitchen table yeah, can be kind of similar. Hmm. You know, tell me what is the nature of your doubt? You know, what, what are your friends thinking? What are you seeing? What is it that you're unsure of? Not pretending to know the answers, because saying, I don't know, but I'm going to try to find out and look into this myself. Can we talk later? Actually helps persuade people that you're, you're not a faker. I mean, somebody who knows every answer to everything, after a while, don't you sort of think, 
this isn't real. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's normal that somebody would ask questions and not be able to come up with every answer. Mm-hmm. That's just the way life is. So good. So one more question before we let you go, which again, I could, I could talk to you for hours and uh, <laughs> have you on every week, and, but you've got other things to do besides talk to me. <laughs> but uh, you tell lots of stories in your book, Truth Changes Everything, about how Jesus followers changed the world as they pursued truth. So I would love for you to end our time this morning telling one of your favorite stories out of that. Oh, there's so many uh, stories that I would say are my favorites. And some of them I know have not been told before because actually uh, you know Eric Metaxas mm-hmm. I, I did a show with him the other day this guy's written all these huge history books you know 500 pages thousand pages whatever and I said I told a story and he said I have never heard that before I was just thinking yes I told the story there Metaxas hasn't heard before um but one of my favorite stories, and this is the one that he said he hadn't heard, is of a, a professor at Oxford University named John Wycliffe. Hmm. So this is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And John Wycliffe had a conviction that he should translate the Bible into English. This was simply not done in that day. Latin was considered to be the hmm. penultimate language. You wouldn't, you if you translated it into English, it would be like adding a curse word every third or fourth word. It was a vulgar language. You wouldn't translate the Bible from Latin into English. Hmm. And the people in charge believed that so strongly that they prohibited it at pain of death. And we all have heard the story of William Tyndale, who was actually captured and executed, burned to death because he was translating the scriptures into English. But Wycliffe was a very well-respected professor. And he said, listen, Moses heard from God in his own language. The disciples heard from Jesus in their own language. Hmm. People today need to be able to hear from God in their own language. Problem was, English was not a standardized language. There was no standardized vocabulary. There was no standardized spelling. So he standardized it all, Stan, in order to translate the Bible. A lot of people don't know this. He actually invented 1,100 words in English Hmm. to publish the Bible in English. And it standardized not only the Bible, but it literally standardized the English language. That standardized English language led to the English that we use today and is the number one trade language in the world. The entire world has literally changed because a professor hundreds of years ago at Oxford University in his little cold cubicle Hmm. decided he should risk death to translate the Bible into English. And everything has changed. So when I say the truth changes everything, I mean literally everything is changed by the recognition that Jesus is the truth. Wow, so good. Well, brother, thank you so much for your time. I really, uh, thanks, Stan. It's fun to talk with you. I enjoy these conversations a lot, and I'd be happy to come on again sometime. So when you grow up against tough topics, let me know. And we've got a lot. We've got 75 instructors at Summit mm-hmm. Ministries who are experts on everything from economics to philosophy to apologetics, and mm-hmm. I'd love to connect them with you. Awesome. I think the biggest takeaway from this conversation is that no matter what is going on around us, the truth is worth fighting for. And if you long for a positive, restorative role in our world, there's no better time than now to make sure we're digging into God's Word so we know the truth. We're so thankful for Dr. Jeff's wisdom. If you'd like to snag his book, we'll link to it in the show notes. 
Thanks so much for joining the conversation today. And as always, to hear more from MyBridge, tune in to your local MyBridge radio station, listen online with our app at home through your smart speaker or at mybridgeradio.net. We'll see you next time.